Welcome to the It's Going to Be Good podcast sponsored by Accrue. This is the place where Anna and I talk about how we are growing as individuals and how we are building a firm in a way that's healthy and sustainable. There is always more to learn and we want to share what we have learned and what we're still learning. Today's topic is on accounting not being a zero-sum game and the difference between having a scarcity mindset and an abundance mindset. So I think we should start by defining our terms again. (laughs) And I'd love for you to walk us through what zero-sum actually means in this context. There is no a phrase more exciting than let's define our terms. That's (laughs) very, very fun for me. Yeah, huge nerd. So zero sum tends to be when, and we're probably all familiar with this term, that that there's only so much. So if if one person is going to benefit, one person is going to lose. Or even if we want to talk about accounting terms, if you're getting a debit, then I'm getting a credit. It's all got to balance. And at the end, it's going to be, there's nothing left over. And, and so then when we go in and talk about things like scarcity versus abundance, scarcity is really buying into that zero sum mentality that there's only so much of the pie. And so if you take a piece of it, then that means there's not a piece of it available for me. Whereas abundance is much more about the pie is potentially limitless. I mean, the pie is potential. And so you having some doesn't diminish my ability to have some. In fact, if we can work together to figure out how you got some, we might both be able to have more. And so it's just the difference in seeing things from that there's only so much to go around to there's enough to go around and by us collaborating, we might even make more than there already is. So that's my simple explanation of our terms. But Jill, do you have anything to add? No, I think that was actually really great. <laughs> that's a really good explanation. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that idea that there isn't enough to go around, that if someone is winning, then there are losers to that is easy and very human to start with. But I think when you start evaluating opportunity from a slightly different bend is when you start to see that that, that, that there is opportunity beyond just what you can see today and that working collaboratively can influence and affect the amount of opportunity that exists in the world, which is such an exciting idea because then we aren't competing, we're collaborating, which is my favorite. <laughs> yes. So I think I think I I think there are some things that are helpful to talk about with the scarcity and abundance mindset. I think with scarcity, it is very often a reflection of how someone grew up. If you grew up without, I think it's it's easy to sit in that seat and stay there. So if you grew up poor or you grew up not having a lot, or or there's like a your background has some unfair fulfilled needs or something like that. It's hard to imagine a reality in which there's plenty. And so you assume that there is a limited amount of of resources or opportunity available to you. And so I can relate to this a lot in my personal life. I think when, when I imagined in my younger years what opportunities looked like, it was win-lose. It's very, very win-lose when it came to like getting a job or, you know, going to school or getting that position on the team or whatever. It feels very binary. I either win or I lose. And and I think a lot of that has to do with like how someone grows up and how someone actually like starts their life feeling about like resources and opportunity. 
Well, I think it's both that and I think there is natural temperament that will be kind of a leaning. I think it's it's both nature and nurture. I think yeah. some of us are, you know, much more glasses half empty. Some of us are much more glasses half full. And so you naturally will kind of lean in one of these directions. And then I think that's also influenced by, um, and, and I grew up very similarly. Uh, I remember things like my parents talking about, you know, like rich people as being like other than us, you know, mm, not like mm -hmm. us regular folk. Let's see how <laughs> the rich people live, you know, and even just that mindset is makes it seem like we are separate from them and we could not be them because that that is a totally different kind of person than we even are. And so I think scarcity and kind of fixed mindset, they're all in this same neighborhood of limiting beliefs that the totally. way in which I view the world is the way that the world is. And there almost certainly is not much that I could do about it. Like this, this is, you know, it's like phrases like this is just how it is. You know, that is mm. the most like kind of fixed mindset thing or, or scarcity mindset. You know, when, when you go to a buffet and people are just loading up the plate, cause you got to make sure you get the full value of that <laughs> buffet to the point where you will make yourself sick. But like, yes. what if they run out of that, that kind of food that I want, I got to get it or someone else will. And, you know, and so it is just, there's, all, I mean, these are dumb examples, but there's all kinds of, you know, different areas of regular life where we just sort of lean into this, you know, oh, if someone cuts in front of me in line, I might not get there. Or, you know, yeah. there might not be a seat for me. Like yeah. I loved when movie theaters move to assigned seating and I get so stressed out on like Southwest flights because I'm like, but I don't know what seat's going to be there. And so you do, I mean, people are generally super nice uh, in line on Southwest flights, but there's still just a little bit of the like, but if you're in front of me, that means you might get the seat and then I might have to sit in the middle and, you know, and so there is, yes. there are scenarios in which there is a fixed amount of things. Yes. So, yeah. It's not like this is never the case. Like, obviously, there yes. are, most things in the world have a have a limit to them. And even opportunity does to some extent, because there are only so many businesses that exist. And, you know, like there, there are limits to it, but there is not enough supply in accounting in particular to fill the demand. So we're good. Like we're good for a while. Yeah. I, I like the buffet example because I think that is, that's a really good one for me because I love food. And, and I think when I was younger and had the metabolism to be able to do this kind of stuff, I would approach a buffet that way. Like, all right, this is a challenge, challenge accepted. I'm going to make <laughs> the most of this. Like I'm, I'm doing the thing and, and I'm going to do it right. And I'm going to get the most bang for my buck. But I got to a point where I was like, but if I'm sick, what am I even accomplishing here? Like, what's the goal I'm trying to accomplish? I'm trying to have a nice meal where I get to eat food that I didn't have to cook and that I don't always get to eat. Like, okay, cool. So now what do I actually want? And I think the difference, um, I, we've talked about this a little bit, like, a, like an all-you-can-eat something. I would rather just order off the a la carte menu. I would rather order what I want a la carte, freshly made. 
and pay less most of the time than a buffet because I'm not actually going to enjoy a buffet if I go hard in the paint and I'm going to have a really hard time not going hard in the paint. So yes. I, I think I think the idea that there isn't enough is just that, like a buffet is there's plenty like they're and they're going to make more if you if they run out. So what are we doing overeating? <laughs> Yeah. And, and to give another example, I, uh, I learned how to drive in LA where I grew up and the idea of like changing lanes and people not letting you in because yes. you might get to where we're all going faster and we're not even going to the same place. Like it doesn't make any difference, but in LA we're so cutthroat about the lanes and you can't get in front of me as if it makes a second of difference. It can't possibly, but for some reason in my head, I'm like, nope, this is my spot and you're not getting in front of me. So as I've moved out of California and LA, <laughs> I've had to relearn how to drive as a gracious person because it felt very much like, but I got to get there. And if I let you in, you'll get to where you're going first and I'll be late. And that is not real. I think time is a great example of like, we all have the same amount. What I should have done is leave earlier. That's what I should have done. <laughs> right. So then I could be like a person. Yeah. That that yeah. would have been super helpful. I that's my husband's grandpa used to point out when people would do that when like cut in front of him and stuff. And then we'd be stopped right next to them at the same red light. He loved <laughs> pointing that out. Like all that weaving in and out, and we're both stopped at the same red light. So yeah. did yeah, you but, do it? <laughs> You did it. Look at you in front <laughs> of me at, at the same red light that we're both <laughs> stopped at. But, but it is so easy to fall into those kinds of things, to that way of thinking and, and build it as a habit in, in very trivial ways, which, you know, whether, whether I take, you know, whether my kids take one piece of candy from the bowl that someone left in front of their house for Halloween or two, probably not going to make like a huge difference in the world. I would tell them to take one because we're not monsters. But, you know, like I've someone else might come take the whole bowl, which is kind of not cool. But, you know, obviously there are scenarios in which there are a limited amount of resources. But I do think that in when we talk about things like potential, I don't know if there is a limit to that. Mm. Like you mentioned that, you know, there's only so many businesses. It's like, well, for now, there's yeah, only so many for now, you know, yeah. but like we have a company because I decided to start one. So many of the people that I know and, and collaborate with, there are new companies because they decided to start one because they saw potential in doing something differently and then created that opportunity. And then now they've got tons of people employed for them that now have jobs because someone created something out of nothing. And now there's even more opportunity to go around. And so I, I do think it's helpful to evaluate where there is reasonable scarcity because we also tend to look at these things as very like scarcity equal bad, uh, abundance yeah. equal good. <laughs> yes. um, and also I'm aware of grammar. <laughs> there is an S at the end of that, but I think it's funnier to say equal. It's very funny. Yep. It's not, but thanks. very caveman. <laughs> <laughs> scarcity, bad, very abundance, Tarzan. Good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. That's more Tarzan than caveman. But but there are scenarios in which thinking about things in a scarcity mindset is helpful, like 
budgeting, if we, if we enforce constraints on ourselves, we might end up with more creativity. And then there are scenarios in which abundance mindset is much more helpful because we might be able to see opportunities and create opportunities that weren't there before. And so I, 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 when I hear talks about this kind of topic, it tends to be very binary in like, try to stop thinking with scarcity and start thinking with abundance. And I think it's more like evaluate both of these ideas and see where there's scenarios in which they are appropriate and where there's scenarios in which they're limiting and, and they're not helpful or serving you because they could both be appropriate or unhelpful in different mm. scenarios. That's an interesting point because I can see some process in my mind as you're talking about that as like a first then. The first question is, is there a limit to the amount of resources available? Like, is this is this finite or is there an infinite opportunity that, that could be gained here? And if it is limited, then like a scarcity men mentality is great. Like if the resources are limited, you should have that mentality because that is true. And if if the potential is there and you're talking about a client amongst thousands and thousands of clients, yeah, you might have lost that battle, but like the war is way more important and way more strategic to fight. And so if you can see, if you can ask one question before even evaluating scarcity versus abundance, you can actually decide which one to use without actually having to evaluate very much at all. Wow. That's super interesting. One, not something I really thought about before we started having this conversation, because I think I tended <laughs> to approach it that that same way of like scarcity, dumb, abundance, so smart, uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> but, or even like scarcity is like natural and abundance mm. is like learned. I don't think that's necessarily true either. Mm. I think th that one way of thinking is probably more natural for you. And yes. I think one of them might be more challenging for you, but neither of them is always right in every scenario yeah. and really challenging your natural leaning will be helpful <laughs> depending on whether that's serving you or not, depending on whether mm -hmm. seeing things in that way uh, is, is helpful. But I will say that I have seen probably more issues than not in leaning into the scarcity mindset than in yeah. the abundance mindset. Now, abundance mindset without discernment is usually mm -hmm. pretty unhelpful. Like you can Magical be a thinking. millionaire tomorrow <laughs> or yeah, just, you just need think to take about my course. <laughs> healthy and you'll be healthy. You know, it's, although that would be great. And maybe it's true, but maybe it's, it's not. not. It's magical thinking. It's not yes. real. Yeah. Yeah, which is, is, you know, it's not inherently bad or problematic necessarily, but in your business, if that's how you're thinking, it's going to be pretty problematic to continue being a business. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's going to be hard I, to do I, that. I do think as accountants, we tend to combine like scarcity mindset with almost like a more, you know, conservative type approach, like almost mm -hmm. a more, um, you know, like risk averse. Yeah. Yeah. Like mm. how do we make sure that we're not going to lose because mm. that means we're not going to go out of business. You know, that means that we're mm. still going to have what we have. And that's definitely was my first knee jerk in, in like, you know, when shutdowns happen and it was like, how do we just not lose? 
And then, you know, I slept on it and was like, well, that's, that's not going to be that helpful because if that's actually our perspective is just not losing, we won't be winning. Even if we manage to not lose, we won't be winning and whatever the heck that means. So let's do that. That's real. Yeah. Yeah. That's a hundred percent right. I think when you are focused on not losing, you can't possibly focus on winning. That is so, yeah. And, and a good night's sleep and some passive thinking around it is probably the best thing you can do. Yeah. Yes. But I think one of the places I see this very often, and I've seen it for a lot of years, I, I, experience it last night as I did a a little bit of networking is the idea that other accountants and bookkeepers that other people in your same profession are competitors. And, and so, you know, especially if you do any networking where it's like, oh, there's only one profession in this group, you know, so there's only one of each kind of thing and your CPA firm that does like a little bit of bookkeeping, you're going to see a bookkeeper as competition because you do bookkeeping. And it's like, but what kind of bookkeeping do you do? And, and how do you do it? And for what size clients and, and like the moment I started asking any amount of questions, it's like, oh, we're actually not competitors at all. And actually we could refer to one another. And some of our best referral partners are other accountants and bookkeepers because no one does everything well. And most people know that. And so they, they've actually thought about what they can do well and honed in on that. And so then they will refer out what they can't do well. And so it immediately shifts the way that we're thinking about that other person as someone who's going to come take my piece of the pie from someone who could help me make my pie bigger and I could do the same for them. So that one has been something so fun over the years of, of just like, I want to meet other people who do exactly what I do. And everyone's like, why? And I'm like, oh, you don't even know. So much potential. It's very exciting. And such awesome shared ideas. Like that's one of the things I feel like you've benefited so much from in your networking with other accounting professionals is that idea or is ideas in general. Like so much of how we've chosen to shift how we operate or what we've decided in in policy or whatever has come from just being curious about how how other people do things. And I think that curiosity is like the dot I want to connect here is like, if you don't know how to do this, just start with curiosity. One of the things I've been thinking about a lot for us is ways that we do collaborate with other firms. And and even as we started to do that and, and started to, you know, share ideas, it almost always starts with us going first with us Mm. being the one to share how we're doing things as almost the like extension of generosity that then someone can reciprocate. But that has to be a mindset that you approach things with to start if you're going to be the one that starts that. If you start with the mindset of that person is my competitor, then you have that very natural and very smart businessy sounding mindset of like, well, you don't want to give it away anything. You don't want to give away the, the trade secrets of how we do stuff. And I'm like, But if I share how we do stuff and they share how they do stuff, then we could both learn from each other and we could both do stuff better. So Jill, I know like, I I don't think that's something you 
had a ton of exposure to before we started working mm-hmm. together. So I'm curious what your, if you had that prior mindset of like, don't give away what we're doing and how that may have shifted in my weird push towards sharing everything all the time, which including starting a podcast about how we do <laughs> stuff. Yeah. I no I, I that's a good question. I don't know that I had a lot of experiences before working at a crew that were on either side of this at work. I'm obviously like you know my my life has has aired on one side or another and and so in unlearning scarcity mindset and relearning it. I think I did that here for for the most part, but I think that generosity with your knowledge was like integral from day one. And so it felt very, um, it felt like it was aligned with my values because I, I don't feel like I want to keep things to myself very often. Like I think generosity is part of like how I like operating in the world. I don't always know how to do it or do it well, but like, I think I want to give more than I want to like withhold. Uh, but I, I really, I don't think I had a lot of like in secret stuff that felt like we needed to protect at other jobs. And here, when I, when I started with a crew, I think the idea of sharing the ideas was so easy for me to like understand and align with and get on board with and participate in. And part of that, I think, and part of why it was easy for me is because I was curious about how you did that. I've never met anyone who networks with other people that would be perceived as competitors in their industry in the way that you do. And so I think that was very, um, it was new, but it wasn't like confusing in any way. It was just like, oh, is that an option? Like, <laughs> can we do this collaboratively instead of competitively? Is that on the table? And and it is. So I I watched you do it a good amount, and I think that was the most helpful thing for me in in kind of undoing that mindset. Also, there's one thing I'll say before this that I think benefited me. I, I took economics in in college. I studied business economics and. I had a cost benefit analysis class that was so helpful because the idea of opportunity cost helped me think about these things really differently than I ever had before, because it feels very much like what is real is the only factor in a decision, like what already exists. So I have, you know, this much money, I have this much time, I have these resources available to me. But opportunity cost is much more challenging to conceptualize because it's not real yet. And so I think I I think that kind of understanding around that concept was helpful for like the stair step to that abundance mindset, because the ideas are really hard to understand if you if you can't quite conceptualize beyond what you can see and know exists today. I think that's so helpful. And I hadn't really connected the dot of opportunity cost to this idea, but there is a tremendous opportunity cost in a scarcity mindset in that, like, I I just want to play so that I don't lose. And it's not to say that you should not be conscious of things like sustainability, like, you know, ensuring that you can still function. But I think there's a tremendous opportunity cost in only looking at the world as 
other accounts or competitors or only looking at the world as if a client leaves, now I have less. We have had clients that have left and realized we were paying them to be a client and we're actually financially better off that they left because it cost more money to provide their services than they were paying. Now, obviously we go back and go, how do we price them and what can we learn? And you know, all, (laughs) all the fun stuff of like, not that again, you know, but it is not just so simple as if this, then that, if you lose a client, then you're losing. It's like, well, (laughs) define losing. Yeah. Define your terms. Like what even is losing? And I, I think that's another thing. We've talked to a lot of firm owners who have started a firm and then realize that they hate managing people and they really love the technical work and they really miss that. And now all they do is deal with people and never numbers. And so undoing that decision and being able to say, okay, so I did this, I'm going to reverse engineer this, you know, what I had previously perceived as forward movement, I'm going to go backwards and I'm going to go down a different path because I picked the fork, the way in the fork in the road that I didn't want. And I couldn't have known that until I did it. And now I know. So I want to be a solopreneur and I'm going to go that way now and I'm going to get rid of my team. And that's not a loss. That's a gain because my life and my firm looks the way I want it to now. That is hard. (laughs) That is so hard to shift your perspective because it feels like failure when you let someone go. It feels like failure when you had a team and now you don't. It feels like failure when you lost a client. All of these things feel like failure, but I think the ability to see beyond just the binary or the like straight data of like dollars and cents and being able to see the emotional cost of keeping that client or the cost to your team in keeping that team member who's really not that cool to everybody and kind of makes people feel bad. Like there's some oper- there's some cost that's really hard to quantify that is really worth evaluating, but that takes some like practice. And I, I'm not exactly sure how to start doing that because I think you already were a few steps ahead of me when I started figuring out some of this stuff for myself. So how, how did you unlearn that scarcity mindset and, and kind of shift gears into abundance? Because I am too much of a talker and an oversharer to not talk and overshare. Um, so I just did it anyway. No, I don't. I, that's probably not it. It might be, though. I I am definitely more naturally a glasses half, em, half full kind of person. <laughs> nice Freudian <Yeah>. slip. <laughs> I was gonna, half empty. Um, but I pretend like it's half full because I have an abundance mindset. No. <laughs> and so just to highlight, an abundance mindset is not just silver linings everything, not just trying to see how the thing is positive. Sometimes things happen that suck and and putting a positive spin on it is not necessarily helpful. Even mm-hmm. if you can see how there could be some upshot to it, just pretending as though everything that happens is good is is fairly unhelpful. But I think for me, I, I do lean in, in that way and more of an optimist and not in that silver linings way, not in that Pollyanna-ish way. I like how someone like Simon Sinek talks about it, that, you know, it's the belief that the future is bright. You know, not that everything mm. that's happening right now is good, but that there mm-hmm. is potential, that we could make it better. And and even in particular, the way that I approach things and the mindset that I take on them has a measurable impact 
on whether they turn out better. Even just in some of those conversations, like, you know, I'm talking to another bookkeeper and and they're like, well, we can't work together. And it's like, well, not with that attitude. Like, you know, <laughs> we, <laughs> we could work together, but if you believe that we can't, then we probably we won't. Can't. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But if you believe that we can, we actually might be able to work together more than you even could imagine at this moment because you may not have done that yet. And and we've done that a little bit more and we can actually show you what that might look like, both for mm -hmm. us and for you in how you might work with other people because it's just so meaningful and rewarding to me to pour into other people and see them get to improve and, and rise. And so I do think some of that is just my natural temperament. That's just super fun for me. Whereas mm -hmm. that kind of people development is not necessarily fun for everyone. I think for someone who's more technician mindset, them approaching things as, you know, one plus one doesn't have to equal two. I mm -hmm. understand how math works, just to be clear. <laughs> But sometimes when we collaborate, one plus one can equal five or 10 or 50 because the combination of our resources creates something that is more than what either of those individual resources could have done on their own. And so combining them is more than just the sum of the parts. It is actually creating potential. But some of that takes some creativity, some of that takes, you know, some openness. And some of us are not always naturally of that bend and have to work mm -hmm. at it a bit more. So I would totally. say if that is not your natural bend, but it is something that you think is valuable enough to work on, finding people in your life that you do observe that in their behavior, like you do see them seeing potential in things and you do see how they interact as being something you'd like to be more like and, and figure out ways that you can model those behaviors in a way that still feels genuine to you. Not just trying to make yourself be like that person, but trying to think about what are they doing that's working? And that's really kind of what I started with. Like the very first person who came to me and was like, I would like to be referral partners. I, I was not super kind. I went home and told my husband, like, someone want to be referral partners, like whatever the crap that means. Like, that's, <laughs> like okay. And then <laughs> you made fun of it. That's so I know. And now I'm revealing that I'm a really bad person on the inside. So you guys know. <laughs> May as well expose it to light. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Here we are doing our best. <laughs> Not the best, just our, our best. best. <laughs> but then I, I, you know, met with them and, and chatted a bit. And that kind of started me thinking, oh, someone else exposed me to this idea that other professionals who do something different than what you do, but who work with the same kinds of clients that you do could be a great connection to refer clients back and forth. And you could both benefit from knowing each other and trusting each other and building that relationship. And then that kind of led me to explore things like regular networking and, and building a referral network and all of these things, just because one person asked what at the time I thought was a dumb question, but I was like, Turns all right. Turns out great question. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and now I'm like, how are you building your referral partners? You know, so I, 
I think if it's not something that comes naturally to you, just kind of watch the people around you that you admire and think about what it is about them that makes you admire them. Like, what are they doing that you're like, man, I wish I could be good at that. And then, you know, ask them questions. How do you do that? Like, what, what do you think about before you talk to someone? Like, how do you evaluate whether someone would be a good referral partner or, or not? Like what's, what's gone wrong with that? You know, like just that kind of curiosity at when something sparks your interest, when something sparks your admiration. That's great. I love that. And I think curiosity is the key here. Like it's, it's, being able to ask good questions, even if they're simple, like what motivates you to do what you do? Like you can, you can do it as cheesy as you want. You can chat GPT, those questions, like you can do whatever <laughs> you want. But like we were talking about that earlier, so it's very timely, but I think you don't have to already be good at it to start and you don't have to already be good at it or even know what it is to be able to be generous with what you have. I think it's just a matter of getting into the mindset that that could be helpful. One of the networks that you were a part of for a while has a, has a kind of catchphrase of like givers gain. I think that's so true. It's such a good depiction of, of what happens when we're generous in the world. I think it multiplies and amplifies more often than it doesn't. And I think that is so helpful. And one of the ways that I found that helps me move into that idea that that helps me like shift into an abundance mindset is gratitude. I think gratitude is a huge piece of this and just getting out of my own head, getting out of my own limitations and thinking about other people. And and I think that goes in in both ways of the curiosity but also that gratitude. So I'm curious about other firms and then I'm so grateful that I have other people in my life that I learn from and respect and really want to emulate. Like there's two sides of that that can really propel this generosity, that can propel this abundance mindset in a way that I think nothing else quite can. Yes. One, even the way that you're positioning that is actually abundance mindset, if you think about it, because we're talking about how you might be able to do these sorts of things. Whereas a scarcity or more fixed mindset would be like, well, I'm not good at that. Well, I couldn't do that. Mm, And we're like, well, here's mm -hmm. how you could do that, which means you kind of have to have the belief that you could do that to start with, which is more of that abundance mindset is more. Mm. And, and I think one of the best words to insert into a phrase like that is yet. I'm not good at that yet. I can't do that yet. It just leaves room for potential. That might be the best way to just start challenging where you have scarcity mindset. Yes. Is is even saying I so I wasn't feeling well this morning. I had a, a bit of a headache and I was just feeling tired and groggy. And so in my mind I was like, I'm just not gonna feel good today. Like, and then mm. I was like, I don't feel good right now and we'll see. And even I'm not going to tell myself, no, you feel great. And you're going to feel awesome today. Like (laughs) my brain is not stupid. It's Mm -mm. like, well, it, because it'll hear that and go, you sound stupid. And then also that sounds like there's a lot of layers to that in uh, how I talk to myself, but I'm going to, I'm going to call it when it's not genuine, that kind of Mm -hmm. power of positive thinking that doesn't feel real is not going to stick, but curiosity does stick 
Well, I don't feel good right now. We'll see. We'll see how the day goes. Maybe I'm going to be a little kinder to myself today and we'll see if that helps. I'm going to get a cup of tea. We'll see if that makes me feel better. You know, just Mm. leaving room for possibility versus deciding in advance that this is and how it is going to be and nothing you do can change it. It's just, that's what I've seen. I think more than anything, the difference between people that I see becoming tremendously successful and the people that I see that tend to stay in kind of similar positions throughout their careers are is the difference of this mindset probably more than anything w- one of the ways we've seen a lot of limiting beliefs or you know or kind of more it's not exactly scarcity mindset but it's more of that kind of fixed mindset where this is this is how it is is when people say i am the kind of person who bl- yes. fill in the blank and this is somewhat something I've thought about for myself, the, the difference between assuming something as an identity that then becomes much more fixed versus holding something a little bit more loosely. So this is a dumb example, but, you know, I one thing I could say is I am a good cook. In which case, if there's ever a scenario in which I am not, a good cook. Now this is in conflict with this fixed identity that I have assumed for myself. And so now what do I even do with the breaking of reality that now who I thought I was is no longer true. Whereas I could say something like, I'm good at cooking, which is getting at the same idea, but it, or like I was good at cooking today. Like it is less fixed of I must always be good at this thing or even something like, you know, I made a great dinner, which can be true. But then tomorrow, if I make a terrible dinner, like I'm not then like having an identity crisis. So again, this is a dumb example, but but I do think that we assume those kinds of things in in our professional lives, especially as um, and this is something I've wrestled with of like, I'm a CEO, that's my identity. And so I'm important because I run a firm. And it's like, well, am I? Is that the case? And and also, what even does that mean? And what if I'm doing work that isn't CEO work, am I still a CEO? Or there's just a lot to unpack with that to where if I'm holding that a little bit more loosely, like that is one of the things I do. Like I hear this a lot in networking. People will introduce themselves with their name and their title immediately. That is who they are. Yeah. And I understand why we do it. And I know what we're doing in this scenario, but it's just, it's one part of who you are. And there might be a lot more parts that would be interesting to me. And that mm-hmm. that does kind of connect that dot of what you do is who you are. Yeah. So then if what you do doesn't sound impressive enough, we want to gussy it up with fancy titles so that we feel like what we do and who we are are going to impress you. Yeah. But yeah, that that's one of the very dumb examples I was thinking of. Yeah. We, we had dinner with some friends a couple of weeks ago and the first question I had just met them. It was my first time meeting them. Uh, my husband is friends with them. And so we sat down and my first question was, what do you do? And she was like, Oh, like that's not, 
I do a lot more than my job. And so like we had this really interesting conversation about how much people care about that thing when it's just one part of who you are. And I, so I think that's a really, really good example of like how we get so caught up in the ego and we forget the human in front of us. And, and I don't know that that's necessarily related to the scarcity and, and uh, abundance mindset, but I think that that ego is, is something that is always going to have to be checked when we're talking about this kind of stuff, because you can't quite have ego and have an abundance mindset in that way, because they, they conflict a lot. I, I've experienced this with a member of our team who's just stellar. She has, you know, run a company before. She is, you know, wildly talented, so good at what she does, so curious, so like tenacious. She's just like crushing her role. And we envision her stepping up into a position that's much more like what I used to do. And in equipping her, in developing her, in envisioning her moving into some functions that I've previously served, I've had to really think about where is my identity here? Like what, what is the value I'm bringing? And that's the wrestling that I think an abundance mindset requires that is the hard part. That's the hard part of, of having an abundance mindset is you're going to have to challenge the idea that you're not enough when someone else is really good at something, or you're going to have to challenge the idea that you are a certain way or that you do or don't have this specific skill. It's hard. I, we've seen this a lot with team members, but that challenging, or I think there's someone on our team, uh, actually our HR person on our team, I think the way she frames it is like wrestling with yourself. Uh, it's, it's such a great way to, um, to frame it. And that like that addressing your own preconceived notions, addressing your own, you know, mentalities that aren't actually serving you. That's where the real work comes in for this. You can start with gratitude. You can start, like you can start with those easy ones to kind of start shifting it, but the, you kind of unlock it when you're able to do that inner wrestling with yourself. And that is really hard work to do. Yes. Well, that also touches on a scarcity mindset would be if I teach someone how to do something and then they learn how to do it and they leave, you know, or if I teach yeah. someone how to do something and then they're better than me, does that mean they're going to advance above me? They're going to, you know, get something that I'm not. And mm -hmm. so we do tend to hold on to things. Whereas an abundance mindset would celebrate that someone is better than you at something would celebrate that you get to share something that helps another person. And I actually think when you approach things in that way, yes, some small percentage of people will take that and, and run with it. We'll take your idea and go present it as though it's their idea. And then mm -hmm. you will feel like you've lost something. But I think true courage is choosing to approach the world with those open hands, even knowing that sometimes someone will take something and not give back. Like sometimes someone yes. will take your idea and run with it. But choosing to still approach the world that way, not naively, not trusting mm -mm. every person who walks down the street, but with intention of I'm going to choose to keep showing up this way, to keep sharing things and being generous and equipping others, knowing that they could leave, knowing that they could take this and advance above me, but also knowing that 
when I live that way, other people will return that and I will end up being better than if I just try to hold everything as tight to the vest as possible and never give anything away, then no one else wants to help you either. And so you're, yeah. you are going to be limited by however much you can hold in your two hands. So yeah. I, I think that like abundance mindset is seeing value and equipping someone to be better than you at something. Yes. And I think the the benefit to that and the like next the level up of that is not just going, okay, this is good that this person is good at this. This is good for them. This is good for the company. Like that's one element of it. The level up for this is going, this person is really good at a lot of stuff. What do they have that I could borrow? Like, what do they do really well that I is one of my growth areas? And that is one of the things that's helped me be much more for people who can, if I'm thinking with a, a scarcity mindset, people who can feel like competition, if you just go, wait, but you're really good at this stuff and I could actually really benefit from learning from you. And then you get that opportunity to, again, engage with curiosity and start trying to think about that person's skills and strengths as a benefit to you and them, not just to them. That is like unlocked. That's that's such a such a huge mindset shift that would be so valuable for for anyone. And it is really valuable for me. It's a really helpful next step for me to take because then I'm looking at things from a completely different lens. Well, and also seeing the value that someone else brings to the table that's different than your own skill set yeah. and how you can borrow it, not even necessarily that you're going to be able to assume it, but that you can borrow it in, in asking for help. So I, I yeah. a great example for us is, you know, I'm going to toss out an idea, but I am looking for you to discern it. And I think approaching it in that way of like, it is a high value to me for you to evaluate this idea because I know that you have discernment. And see if it's actually, if it's a now idea, if it's a good idea, if it's an actionable <laughs> idea, if it's a n nice try, maybe back to the whiteboard. <laughs> not or that not one, yet. You know? Yeah. Or not yet. Yeah. But it yeah. could also be a not ever, probably. Yeah, it could be a not ever. <laughs> we could say <laughs> Rarely. probably not ever. And then that leaves the door open. <laughs> Openness. <with abundance>. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow, you really nailed that one, Anna. <laughs> Thank you. I'll take that. <laughs> But, but even, even in, in framing it that way and asking it that way, I am opening like my mind to the value that you're bringing in discernment. Whereas if I share an idea, not expecting that, not asking for that, and then you come poke holes in it, then I'm probably like wanting to protect my idea and wanting to defend it and getting defensive and all the kind of emotions that we talked about in the episode where we talked about feelings. So I think even approaching what we're doing with that kind of like openness and that like, I know that when I come with an idea and you discern it, or when I come and, and toss an idea out and other people share more ideas and we discern all of those, we're going to land at something far better than my idea by itself. And so even just the idea of the best idea wins is maybe our best example of abundance mindset, because yes. it means we all got to contribute and whichever mm -hmm. one was the best probably came from a compilation of our ideas. Almost always. 
Yeah. Almost absolutely. And I think one of the things we do really well is we iterate after that. That's not the end. Like the best idea wins. And then we keep making sure that's still the best idea. And, you know, that can, that can be taxing, but at the same time, you're never really going to stop growing and, and learning and, and adapting to reality because reality is constantly changing. Yeah. Yes. Well, I think this is the way we do it is probably a more fixed mindset than scarcity, but like, this is how we've always ridden this dead horse is still a good idea of that. Um, and maybe it's, this is how we've always ridden this dead horse so far is the (laughs) way it just start to unlock, but is this how we have to ride this dead horse? What if we stopped riding a dead horse and thought about riding an alive horse or a car or I don't know, the analogy falls apart, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah. But we get into that mindset as accountants of like, this is how it is done. This is Mm -hmm. the way to do it. And it's like, this is a way to do it. And I am not encouraging creative accounting. There are appropriate frameworks within which we need to do gap accounting, you know, Mm -hmm. to, to do things properly. But one of the things that we have gotten probably more potential clients on than, than some of the others is our willingness to flex in how we do certain things within the framework of, you know, appropriate accounting, but in flexing how we might work together, how we might track something so that it is more meaningful. And a lot of the input we get is, well, they said this is the only way to do it. So this is how they've been doing it. And I'm like, oh, that is a way of doing it. And usually not the most effective, or you wouldn't be talking to us because if you were happy with the way it was being done, we would not be having this conversation. So mm-hmm. I I think there's a lot of ways in which we can get very set in this is how it is. And I just want to say this is how it is right now. This is how mm-hmm. it is so far. But, you know, it's an open question. I think the idea that you are a certain way that I'm the kind of person who is, is such a, it's such a good example. It would not have occurred to me unless I did the amount of hiring that I've done in the last four years. But that phrase has consistently been one that indicates to me in hindsight up until this point, (laughs) that someone really doesn't think that they're capable of more than they are already good at. And that is so that's such a bummer. It's such a bummer way to see the world, to see yourself. And it's, it's really hard to get out of that if you can't see that that's even what's happening. My example of, of how I've kind of traversed overcoming things and and learned a little bit that I was stronger than I realized in, in that I can change my natural tendencies or I can, I can change how I operate, even if that's not my natural bend is speaking. I am on a podcast right now. I'm speaking at a conference in November and I used to cry when I had to speak publicly, like in front, like dirt through the speech. Like I was terrified of public speaking. It was one of my least favorite things I could possibly do. It was so anxiety inducing for me as a child. It was. And 
for whatever reason in my career, I've had enough opportunities that like slowly got me to like be a little bit more comfortable talking in front of a small group internally to the point where if I get enough reps in and if I can imagine myself just improving it and I can just say to myself, I'm not good at this yet. It's something I need to work on in order to improve. Well, then I just get to work on it. Like it's, it's so great. It's going to be anxious the first six times you lead a meeting if you've never led a meeting. But if you never lead a meeting, you're never going to overcome that anxiety and fear. And so you kind of just have to jump in and do the thing and get your feet wet and mess it up, frankly. I mean, I've messed up so many things and and sometimes fake it till you make it. But there's nothing quite like seeing something that feels very fixed change over time and then realizing, oh, there is so much about me that that is, could be true about. All right. Well, now all options are options. Like I'm not stuck in this mindset. I'm not stuck in this way of thinking, in this, in this way of operating. I have the option to be different, to operate differently, to, to grow skills that I couldn't have even imagined growing when I was younger. And the idea that we are so much more malleable and, and agile and capable than we give ourselves credit for is one that I don't think could be overstated, especially in accounting. There's so much that we could be bringing to clients and to companies that would, that would help everyone be better as humans. But we have to think about it differently. We can't just keep doing things the same way we've always done them if we want things to change. That's insanity. <laughs> yes. Well, and I think to your point about believing that this was not something that you were good at and then kind of doing it anyway, when there are things that we are afraid of that we believe that, you know, either will harm us or, or, you know, that, that we're avoiding what, whatever the case and they happen to us, it triggers all of the fight or flight stress responses and, you know, and paralyzing. And I think, you know, so many people have dreams about like being up on stage naked and, totally. and freezing, yeah. you know, it's like, Terrifying. it's the worst possible nightmare, you know, but when it's that same exact thing, but we confront it voluntarily, we choose to move into it. We choose to adopt that yes. mindset of, I'm not good at this yet, but I'm going to try it anyway. I'm going to stumble through and I'm going to get better at it. It biologically activates the part of our nervous system, our response, that's more like excitement like adventure, like it's that part of our brain that unlocks. And so that's the kind of place where when we decide to engage in the things that would be so easy to avoid because we believe we're not good at them, but we decide to engage in them on purpose anyway, we open up the part of our brain that like actually excites us and we get that dopamine hit and, and it is like inspiring. You get to the end and you're like, Oh my God, I did it. You know? And that seeing like, it's awesome for me. I, I love experiencing that in different scenarios, but I think I am at a point now where it is much more exciting to me to see that in someone else, to see that in a team member that we've encouraged to try something that was outside of their comfort zone that they didn't believe they could ever do. And then they tried it and did it. And then they're pumped about it. Oh my gosh. Like that is 
so exciting and meaningful. So stop it, yeah. Anna. We're not supposed to cry <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> Stupid. It's so good. Yeah. It, there's nothing quite like watching someone else thrive in something that they didn't believe previously that they could do and just crush it. Like we've, I can't tell you how many experiences I've had with team members here who have just showed up in such incredible ways, thinking that they couldn't do that thing. And then realizing as they were doing it, that they absolutely could. It's incredible. And that they enjoyed it, that they actually were avoiding it because they thought it would be horrible. And then they tried it and they actually enjoyed doing that. That's not always the case. Sometimes they might be like, I did it, but also please never again. Yeah. Yeah. Which is also. Yeah. And and I don't think everything that you work on, you will improve. There are things that no matter how much I tried, I would never get better at because I will not with that attitude. (laughs) No, but there are things like no, I, but I, also I, that's true. <laughs> no, there's totally, but there's not that many, and there's not that many in your chosen field. Like all options are options in your chosen field. Right, right. <laughs> I will never get taller. I will only I in my life get shorter. So uh, or osteoporosis. Wider. Here we come. <laughs> or wider, <laughs> which will look shorter in the end. Yes. <laughs> I could grow. It won't be vertically, uh, which would be a real, <laughs> real bummer. There are limits. There, There is scarcity that is actually helpful to just sort of eliminate things that aren't opportunities so that you can then focus in on things that are opportunities. So I think that are real. <laughs> being reasonable and also orienting yourself such that you do believe that things that you want to do that are valuable, that are meaningful, are something that you could do or could work on. And then you're just deciding what you want to do, what you want to work on, what feels worthwhile to do. Because maybe you could do whatever thing. I don't know. Maybe you can't. But maybe it's just not worthwhile. Like I, I remember yeah. reading Strengths Finder and it was talking about how like if Michael Jordan spent all of his time working on his golf game, he would not have been arguably greatest basketball player ever. I'm trying to do sports analogies. I don't know why. They wrote about it, so it's fine. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, he could play golf and he probably could get better at it. But was that really the best use of his time and his effort and energy when there was something he was amazing at that he could get even better at? So there's there's different ways of looking at things. I just like leaning into where is their potential and what could I do? Yeah. Just quickly on the Michael Jordan thing. Okay. Why did they pick golf? Because he actually oh, played base- baseball? They said golf and baseball. <laughs> yeah, both of them oh. garbage. <laughs> Yeah. Well, he was de- he was really good at baseball. He was great at baseball. He just wasn't. Well, he was good fine. He wasn't going to be the best. Not with that attitude. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Not with that attitude. Any final thoughts with this, Anna? Yeah, I I definitely have a few final thoughts. I I think having that scarcity mindset can be helpful in certain situations, but I always want to challenge whether that is the best mindset to have. So this is how much money I have in the bank might literally be true. And pretending like that's not true is pretty unhelpful. 
this is how much money I have in the bank today is a way to challenge that mindset and leave room for opportunity and leave room for possibility. And so really leaning into more abundance mindset than not, challenging scarcity mindset where it is helpful, but then always leaving that door open for curiosity, for potential, for collaboration, and really leaning more towards that abundance mindset where we can contribute to one another, where we can be generous with what we know. One of our core values underneath aiming for better is to be excited to learn and generous with what you know, because that means all of us will know more because we're all open and generous with sharing that. So I think there's more positivity and more creativity and more collaboration when we lean a little more towards that abundance mindset, but obviously, you know, challenging both mindsets and going, what is helpful to me in this scenario? What is going to get me to where I'd like to be? And are there mindsets and beliefs that are keeping me from where I could be, from the person I could be, from the business that I could have, from the leader that I could be? Are these mindsets serving me or are they hindering me? And and I love what you said about generosity. I heard a quote once that I loved that when we live with open hands, they're open to give and to receive. And I have really approached business that way. And I have been blown away time and time and time again by how many people have been open and generous with me and supported me and helped me and referred people to me and sent people our way because we just try to live with that openness that we're here to help and support. And so it makes people more likely to want to do that in return. Thanks for joining us. We hope you will keep tuning in as we share how we are building a firm worth building. It's going to be good.